It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by a physician and epidemiologist. He's the former health director of Detroit and host of the America Dissected podcast. Abdul El Saeed, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you as well. I, I'm doing well, all things considered. I, I just uh, swabbed my kid to send her to preschool, but uh, it's a sign of the times. So, look, you're actually sending your kid to preschool. I think you're the first parent that I've talked to whose whose child care is open. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Honestly, you know, we uh, we upgraded her mask, and um, and they've got pretty stringent testing requirements at her school, and so we felt safe sending her. I will say, you know, it, it's not without some pause considering the hospitalization numbers that we're seeing among young children. Of course, my kid is four, and so she can't be vaccinated yet. And yeah, it is It is this kind of a time. We're all uh, making really challenging decisions about everything from childcare to social interactions to work. And, um, you know, I, I only hope that folks stay safe and do the things that they can to protect themselves and their loved ones. So what are the, so, um, just a follow-up question to the point about the testing requirements and the other um, things that made you feel not, you know, good about sending your child to preschool, but okay about saying these are the steps that the the preschool is taking um, to keep the children safe. I mean, one of the things that I've been complaining about from the beginning is sort of the performative nature of some of the mitigation steps, like disinfecting and, you know, wiping things that is like not how people are getting this virus. Um, And so what are the things that your preschool is doing that made you as an expert say, okay, this is, I, I can work with this and I can um, send my kid. Well, we know that Omicron is airborne. So, you know, if you're wiping things down, that doesn't really help that much, but they're, uh, they've really invested in air filtration throughout the school building. And, um, you know, I've, I've checked out their protocol and it really is pretty sound. And so they're really smart about, about filtering the air. Uh, and that really does make a difference. Yeah. The other uh, is um, is they've stepped up the mask requirement to be any mask uh, to go to a medical grade mask or above. And mm. you know, I just want you guys to understand why a medical grade mask is so much better than a cloth mask. Imagine before Omicron, you were sitting without a mask uh, with someone else who also wasn't wearing a mask who was infected with COVID-19. If you were to spend 15 minutes, the estimate suggests right. that you would get an infectious dose of uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. You would breathe it in. If you're wearing a cloth mask, it would extend that time by about five minutes to about 20 minutes that it would take you to get an infectious dose. But if you were wearing a, a an N95, even if it wasn't well-fitting, it was just an N95, it would ex- extend that time 50-fold to 12 and a half hours. And if you had a well-fitting wow. N95, it would extend it to, to 25 hours. So, you know, the, the upgrading to, to, to medical-grade masks is also really important. And then finally, they required all the parents to test their kids before they came back. And so... You know, I feel relatively uh, at ease about about sending her there, and um, you know, and and if any of that changes, then uh, then then we'll rethink it. But um, but those were the really big things: the air filtration and the medical grade masking. That really does make a huge difference. I think that that's, that's you- it's such a good point about the masking. I, I always think about the nurses in the ER, and I'm like, okay, 
there's there are people in the world that have figured out how to walk into a room with people with covid and walk out and not every single time get covid they've they figured this out in the lab and in the hospital so what are they wearing <laughs> how can i wear something at least close to that and the the sort of basis and foundation of that of course is that is that quality mask my dad's a biologist. He's been wearing an N95 from the from day one. <laughs> and I, I learned it from him. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the validation on, on, that, on that truth, fundamental truth. How are we feeling about at-home tests, though? I feel like I, I, I'm reading, like, we're, we're relying on them more than ever, you know, because people are, people are gathering. They are going to the office. They are moving around the world. At-home rapid tests are sometimes, if you can find them, <laughs> they're they're what people are recommending in order to do that safely. But then I'm hearing that you really only want quick viewer BNX. That lo- I mean, lots of people seem to be testing negative before they test positive. Like, what is your sense of at-home rapid tests at this point with Omicron? Yeah. First, I wish there were more of them. Uh, the big mm-hmm. issue, you know, right now is that people just can't get their hands on them. Second, they're a tool that is meant to be used in a particular way. I think the reason often people get negative tests is because they just don't test at the right time. So yeah. a lot of folks will hear that they've just been exposed. They'll go home and they'll test and they'll say, whew, I'm negative. Except for that's just right. not how it works. The virus right. has to take some time to actually replicate so that you can enrich enough antigen, which is what you're testing for in a rapid test. So the, the proper use really is to test on you know, between days, days three and five. The CDC recommends day five. Um, and uh, if you test appropriately in, in the infectious window, um, they should test positive if, in fact, you, uh, you are positive. And so they are an important tool. We should not put them on the level of PCRs. But then again, PCR tests have their own cost, right? They, they are a lot uh, harder to do. They take a lot more time to result in a lab. And, and we really should be uh, saving them for, um, for, for testing decisions that uh, that are, are you know, heavier duty than am I going to go hang out with my friends? So I, I do think they're an yeah. important tool in our arsenal. I just think that we don't have enough of them. And too often, we because we have uh, chronically lacked the amount of testing that we need, there isn't that much education about how to use them appropriately so that they actually give you information that you can uh, that, that can be actionable in the decisions that you're going to make. It's such a good yeah. point about sort of that incubation period, because I do feel like a lot of people are like, well, my my got a false negative. I'm like, no, actually, you you just didn't test at the right point. Um, you were negative in your illness. You the, the test. <laughs> right. You didn't have it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you explained it virus. better, but but it's the kind of thing where, like, if you understand the science, you wouldn't be saying that <laughs> you wouldn't be like, oh, these rapid tests, just throw them all out. They don't work. I, um, as if, you know, we need to be doing less of these steps and layering them on top of each other instead of more of these things and layering them um, like testing, masking, ventilation. Ventilation is um, a thing that we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when we when we talk to Randy Weingarten, she's always talking about it. <laughs> um, but I don't see policymakers talking about ventilation. What are the kinds of things that we should be doing in terms of ventilation because I don't really know a lot about it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the key thing to remember, right, is that, is that Omicron in particular, but COVID has always been an airborne uh, aerosolized disease. And so being able to filter the air that we're breathing is important because you're literally taking uh, virion uh, viral particles um, out of the air. 
the key thing is, you know, you, you want more, the more ventilation, the better. I, I think the one time when I was on here, we talked a little bit about the bubble analogy, but if you just imagine that everybody was constantly blowing bubbles out of their mouth, what would those bubbles do? If you were in a room with no filtration and no ventilation, they would just kind of sit there in the air. And right. if you think about those bubbles as, as viral particles, you can imagine why it's so easy to breathe them in. If you're outside, right, those, those bubbles just fly out in the wind. And, um, and that's why being out, outdoors is so much more protective. And so what we want to do is be able to approximate an outdoor setting as much as we possibly can while we are indoors. And that means A, filtering the bubbles out of the air, the viral particles out of the air, and then B, trying to open windows when, when and if we can uh, to, to, to allow some, some, some ventilation, some flow uh, out, of, out of the room. And um, there are some really, really great filters. The, the CDC has protocols on uh, recommendations for filters that I would check out for folks. But then, you know, when you can, um, if you can create sort of a, a direct airflow through a room that you're in uh, from one direction out to another direction, uh, that's always positive. So two questions about some of the guidance that we have received, because you've actually been in a position where you you had the kind of job where you had to communicate health guidance to people as Detroit's health director. So we, we had the CDC last week say that they wanted to shorten the isolation period for asymptomatic people with COVID to just five days. And they did not recommend a test to say that you no longer had COVID before you re-entered society. When, as a former health director, what did you think when you heard that? I'll be honest, I've been quite frustrated with the CDC's messaging uh, throughout this yeah. pandemic. And, you know, the, the, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention ought to be focused within their remit of disease control and prevention. And that unfortunately, yeah, right, what, what, we've, what we've heard and what we had been hearing up until that decision was made, was a lot of complaints from from CEOs and major corporations about how their isolation guidelines were uh, causing worker outages. And as far as I know, the CDC their remit does not include business operations and 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 uh, workforce. Their remit includes disease control and prevention. And we know that um, the, the 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 better way uh, to make sure that somebody is truly not infectious. Uh, after an isolation period is that they have to test negative before they go back out into the general population. Um, it just makes sense, particularly if you're reducing the timeline. The problem is, it gets back to the first bit of the conversation that we had, we just don't have enough tests to go around. And so had they had a negative testing requirement, it would have exacerbated the testing shortage we already have, thereby rubbing the egg that's already on the administration's face all over their face. And so they're between a bit of a rock and a hard place. Now, look, we do know that Omicron moves faster. It both infects more people faster, but then also it looks like your body, um, your body's immune response clears it faster. And so there is some logic behind this. The problem is there was no evidence that the CDC could point to to say this is why we chose five days. This is the mm -hmm. proportion of people who are no longer infectious after five days. And this is why we went without a test. Instead, th there was a lot of hand waving. And unfortunately, that's just not how science based evidence or evidence driven policy should work. You should be able to point to your evidence and say, this is why we're changing our policy. Here's how we are protecting against those folks who may, in fact, still be infectious after five days. That just wasn't done. And so it really was frustrating for us because we need the CDC to be a trusted, competent organization. Right. And while I still believe deeply in the CDC and its mission and in public health more generally, it frustrates me every time people see public health authorities making recommendations that uh, that seem to be driven by something other than the remit of disease control and prevention. Like right. Ron DeSantis saying asymptomatic people shouldn't test at all. Oh, God. That probably made you mad. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you know, th this is the hard part, right? Is that we don't have enough tests, but but that that is not a, a way to make policy. Like we really should have enough tests, and we're two years into this thing making policy around a stubborn truth of our failure uh, right. to respond to this pandemic that has extended now more than two years. And it is really, I mean, I I I, I mean, I cannot oversell how astounding it is to me that two years in we still don't have the testing that we need. I mean, we've been doing this for how long? I, it is a it is it is it is mother's milk when it comes to uh, to to uh, infectious disease uh, epidemic response to have enough testing available for the population. We just don't. And to just take it further, you could imagine a world if we had uh, unlimited amounts of testing where everybody had enough rapid tests so that they could literally rapid test every day. Right. Like you could do that. That would be right. a thing that that is doable. That would really improve people's ability to know when and if they were infectious, when and if to isolate. But we don't have that. And because we don't have that, we're stuck making decisions about how to ration tests that in the richest, most powerful country in the world should be the last thing we have to think about. But here we are. No, it's it's so true. And I was obsessing about the testing lines over um, the holiday because I just if the, if there was anything that the baby's eyes are open. OK, so just to know that there's a one month old baby um, next to me right now and. I don't know what to do with a baby. So I'm just <laughs> giving updates as you we stare um, you do just this experience. stare at it. That's all you I'm do just like really stressed out. But, so what's funny Stared is... in total delight and stress. <laughs> so we, I had to keep... I think the baby is also similarly astounded. Yeah, like what is happening? Situation. Exactly. Like, <laughs> what and we had to, did you all bring me into? <laughs> what, listen, I think about we're it. As trying, I'm staring at the baby, baby I'm like, wow, trying. we're trying to get this world together for you. And we had to kick, kick the cat out. So the cat is like downstairs meowing loudly. I don't know if you can hear. Um, it's a lot going on. <laughs> Um, but, but one of the other things I've been thinking about in terms of testing is like, you know, it's, n we don't have to think about, you know, hypothetical scenarios that don't exist even. I mean, not the necessarily specific point of testing every single day, but if you look at other countries in the world, it's not like this, right? They, they, they're doing different things on testing. Um, and so their testing is, is a lot different. I mean, why is it, and should it be the case that, why is it not the case and should it be the case that when you think you might have COVID that you are not forced to go stand on a line with a hundred people just to go find out and maybe you mm. might catch it when you're there. That that's crazy. That's not on a policy level, just on a common sense level. That makes no sense. But on a policy level, that makes no sense. On a public health policy level, that makes no sense. Why don't we have like a toll free number we can call? Not even a website, whatever they announced. I was like, no, this isn't going to work. We did. The, we tried the website thing with Obamacare. Clearly, that's not the way to go here. Why is it not a toll free number where you can press a button and order a test to your house if you think you have COVID? So you're not exposing other people. Is that should that be the goal? I mean, yes. I mean, I, I, I'll give you an example here. Um, I, had a, I had a friend of mine who spent uh, some of their holiday in, in Turkey. And uh, most listeners probably don't have a concept of the, the Turkish economic situation, but it's not great. They're mm -hmm. in the midst of an inflationary spiral. The lira is, is, is losing, uh, is, is, is taking on water by the day. And yet they were able to get a PCR test within uh, within uh, an hour and to have it result within six hours while they were there. Wow. I want you to think about that. They get it within the hour, right? And they it would result within six hours. So within seven hours, you would know based on PCR testing whether or not you were COVID positive. 
And that, wow. that, that's in a, in a country with far less economic resources or stability than ours has. And the fact that we don't have that yet, frankly, is a failure of public health operations. It's been two years. There is no reason why we should not be in a situation where you can get any test anytime uh, and have it result within a meaningful, actionable uh, amount of time. It, it really is a profound frustration. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine um, how much more frustrating it is when you have that breadth of knowledge about how public health ought to operate. Um, so thank you for continuing to explain it to folks and, and us particularly this morning. Good luck with your kids in preschool and please come back soon. I wish that we had another 20 minutes because God knows we have another 20 minutes of questions for you, but but please come back soon and, and stay safe in the meantime. Abdul El Saeed, everybody should check you out. You too, friends. Infected. Thank you so Happy much. Happy 2022. You too. Stay Happy safe. 2022. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.